0: Mystery History Podcast. I'm Allison. I'm Jordan. Hello. Hello. Welcome to episode 31. 31. The Manhattan Project. Yes. Very interesting.
1: Sounds so official.
0: It does. How are you today? You sound a little nasal. I'm a
1: little nasally. Sorry. <laughs> if it's this, just if, weather. If my voice is annoying. Yeah, it's, I've got real bad allergies. Anytime the weather changes, it's like... It's a nightmare.
0: And in Ohio, it changes every day.
1: Yeah. It'll be, it literally was 70 degrees yesterday and earlier in the week it was like 20.
0: Yeah. Now it's what, 80 today? I think my car's done. it's really
1: fucking hot. Yeah. So so I apologize for any sniffles throughout the episode. I'm going to try to keep them to a minimum. Yeah.
0: Lock it up. But there might be a few here and there. Before we get into this Manhattan Project, let's talk about some business. Uh
1: Uh-huh. How
0: many downloads are we at? (laughs) 12,077. Dang. That's a lot.
1: Good thing you knew it, because I didn't know it. You didn't know it. <laughs> <laughs> I was scrambling to find it.
0: Yeah. So that's awesome. We've hit another thousand mm-hmm. within, what, a week's time? A week, yep. That's pretty awesome. So yeah, thank you to everybody who listens to our shenanigans. Uh huh. Let's talk about our Patreon tiers. We've got some new stuff going on.
1: Yes. So we have two Patreon tiers as normal. Um, we have a $2 tier, which gets you access to next week's episode right now. And a $5 tier, which gets you that, and a bonus episode every Friday. Yeah. As well, and both of them have uh, discount codes that come for our merch.
0: Yeah, merch. Cheap. Yeah, yeah. That's good.
1: And right now, when you sign up to be a patron, we're going to send you a free sticker and a autographed print.
0: Yeah, one of our po- poster designs. Yeah, yep. With our signatures on them. Oh, yeah. Who knows? One day, that could be worth a million dollars. Millions. At least. Maybe $5. Maybe one day soon.
1: Maybe five.
0: Five.
1: Five to ten. Five to ten. At your local flea market.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So that's pretty cool. We also decided that we've got a name for all of our patrons, right?
1: Uh, That's still a discussion. No, it's
0: not. I like the Mystery Mob. Yeah. You like that? It's not bad. It's got two M's, which I enjoy.
1: Yeah, nothing else really has... We've been trying to brainstorm
0: names, and yeah, nothing really. We need a name for you people. Yeah, give us let us know what you want to be called. Yeah, what do you want to be called? I like the mystery mob or the mystery mafia. Jordy's a little worried that the mafia or the mob is going to come after us. Could happen. But then, all you people out there need to do a podcast about us. Yeah, don't let us die in vain. No, and I'm not talking about like one episode. We're talking about like f- at least five. Or yeah,
1: five. One and a half even.
0: One, Five. <laughs> hey, I'm shooting big.
1: Five, here. damn. That's I a want, whole series. want you
0: to go into our history, how we were raised, our
1: mysteries,
0: yeah, our history, everything. <laughs> Let's talk about our website. We discussed the Patreon tiers mysteryhistorypodcast.com. Has yes. all of our episodes, all of our uh, Patreon. You can go on there and get that information. It's got our merch on there. It's getting hot and it's getting cold, so get a tank top and a hoodie.
1: Yeah. You never know. Yeah. And a blanket. And a blanket. And a pillow. Yeah. For the nap time. Yep. Yeah.
0: Need siestas around here. Let's see. Um, I do want to uh, give some shout outs to some folks. We have been trying to get those pesky little one star reviews out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. Fucking nerds. Right. And we've asked you all to give us five-star reviews and possibly a little comment. Yeah,
1: a little something-something.
0: little something-something, and, and we've gotten some of those. So let's read those, shall we? Yes. Um, Shout-out to Robin. She gave us five stars and a review that said, Authentic, love that you guys are real, like siblings having a conversation about some weird shit. That's True. what we do best. That is,
1: exactly. Talk about weird shit.
0: Weird shit, and we are siblings. We
1: are siblings. Uh,
0: Said so they enjoy this podcast. Thanks, guys. So thank you for giving us some love. you the best. The next one comes from Lady, I'm saying this wrong, G-n-a-t. G-n-a-t. Guy. Gainette? Gainette? Gainette. Gainette. Wouldn't be the podcast without saying some shit wrong, yeah, right? Hot, hot start. Yeah. So she says, great show funny and informative thank you you're welcome you're welcome you're welcome thank you for the uh the comment
1: thanks for letting us have your ears for an hour yeah appreciate you
0: yes um okay now let's give some shout outs to some of our our other podcasts let's give them some love yeah um, we want to give some love to our friends at Let's Adult Podcast. Mm-hmm. You can find them on Instagram. They just started season two, uh, and there's that season. The first episode is Let's Get Spooky. So even though Halloween's over, it's always spooky up in here. True. So go listen to them. Um, they do they, they do anything like about adulting, mm-hmm. as the podcast name would suggest.
1: Very on brand.
0: Yeah, uh, you can find them on, on ma- all major platforms or on Instagram at Let's Adult Podcast. So, that's...
1: what is she doing? My dog just like found a piece of plastic, put her paw in it, just staring at it.
0: Yeah. Whatever, don't, freak. Move. don't move. Freak. Don't move. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> that was just funny. Uh, why don't you give this next shout out? Uh,
1: so, shout out to Murder by Design. We met them on Instagram, and they are also from Ohio. Yeah. So, shout out to Ohio. Buckeye Nation. Yeah. They do tons of giveaways, and they make a lot of cool things.
0: Really Um, cool things. Yeah.
1: They have Serial Killer Key key Change.
0: Why is that so hard to say? Key Change. Key Change. change. Key Change. They're really cool.
1: They are cool. They're really cool.
0: Really cool. They got like Richard Ramirez, Ted Bundy on there, John Wayne Gacy, and Jeffy Dahmer, who we just did an episode about. Yeah. Both of them. All of them. <laughs> Except for Ted Bundy. Have we done that yet? Uh, no. We talk about these folks so yeah, much. I don't remember. I don't think so. I don't think so either. Maybe. And, I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? You tell us. Did Who we knows? do Ted Bundy? <laughs> we talk about we him a lot. could look real quick, but nah. <laughs> uh, not our style. You can also check out her website at murderedbydesign.square.site. So go get her stuff. It's really cool. I really mm-hmm. like them. The mm-hmm. last, but of course not least. Access, uh, accessible.art.history. That's her Instagram name. They explore all art from all periods of time. Their podcast is on all major platforms, and you can also follow them, of course, on Instagram. That's where we do the bulk of our communication. Yeah. Um, my favorite post was on day 11 of their local Spooky Facts from Seattle, Washington. They're from Seattle uh, on the Fremont Troll. If you don't know about the Fremont Troll, Give it a Google or go to accessible.art.history. Mm-hmm. They got a picture on there, and it's pretty pretty sweet. Pretty wild. Yeah. So you got anything else for the, the business today?
1: Uh, I don't think so.
0: That was a lot. The that business was a lot. We appreciate everybody, their feedback, their comments, <laughs> their likes, all that stuff. We love talking to you all, so keep it going.
1: Yeah, keep uh, giving those reviews and writing stuff. I was going to
0: say, keep on keeping on. Keep on doing that. L i v i n. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But yeah, for some reason those uh, the the notes that you write like help more people see the podcast. Yeah. Not really sure how that works, but.
0: And we love reading them. It makes my day. Yeah. I check it periodically throughout the week, and every time we get a new one, gives me gives me it's like a little ray of sunshine. (laughs) Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I get that. You ready to get into this Manhattan Project? Yes. Okay, take it away.
1: So, the Manhattan Project was the code name for the American led effort to help develop a functional atomic weapon during World War II. Mm. The controversial creation and eventual use of the atomic bomb engaged some of the world's leading scientific minds as well as the U.S. military, as most of the work was done in Los Alamos, New Mexico, not the borough of New York City for which it was originally named. A little confusing.
0: Yeah, why didn't they call it the Los Alamos Project? That's too... Then people are like,
1: what are they doing out there? <laughs> New York City's too big. <laughs> <laughs> Los Alamos, they're like, we know we see everything. It's yeah. in the desert. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Manhattan Project was started in response to fears that German scientists had been working on a weapon using nuclear technology since the 30s and that Adolf Hitler was prepared to use it.
0: We kind of talked about that in our... What, the, um, what's that dude's name?
1: Oh, uh, Wernher von Braun? Yeah, yes. Warner von
0: Braun, Braun. We kind of discussed all of that.
1: America's funny. How they dis- America. Why? Just how they're like, I heard he's got a bomb. We gotta, we gotta get it first. And
0: like, we gotta make it better.
1: And bigger. Huge. Put some flags on it.
0: Yeah.
1: But the same thing with like the space race. Yeah, we
0: gotta be first. Like,
1: yeah, they're like, I heard Russia's trying to do this and they're like.
0: Not on our watch. Yep,
1: not watch us.
0: Yep. Uh, America declares war. So, the agencies leading up to the Manhattan Project were first formed in 1939 by Franklin D. Roosevelt. Mm, love that guy. Yeah, he's a good one. Frankie Roses. Yeah. After U.S. intelligence operatives reported that scientists working for Adolf Hitler were already working on the nuclear weapon, Those like we discussed. Pesky Nazis. Right. They're always trying to, like, do stuff.
1: To do bad things, guys. Hmm? So, we're going
0: to do it <laughs> more, better. More More bad. I'm gonna do it twice. Twice is bad. At first, Roosevelt set up the advisory committee to uranium, on uranium. And we've talked about uranium.
1: We have not a good thing.
0: Not a good thing, a rough, people.
1: Rough uh, thing.
0: Radium girls. Yes. Not good.
1: Does bad things to your body.
0: A team of scientists and military officials tasked with researching uranium's potential role as a weapon. Based on the committee's findings, the US government started funding research by Enrico for me and nice. Leo. That was good. That was good. And Leo Slizzard. <laughs> <laughs> Slizzard? I
1: think it's I think that's a silent S, so Zillard.
0: No. He's I like that better. Reminds (laughs) me of Eddie Izzard.
1: Steady little snake.
0: (laughs) Sneaky snake (laughs) at Columbia University, who was focused on radioactive isotope separation, also known as uranium enrichment and nuclear chain reactions.
1: So, yeah, just easy stuff. Yeah. 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 Uranium enrichment and nuclear chain reactions. Easy. Walk in the park.
0: We got this.
1: The advisory committee on uranium's name was changed in 1940 to the National Defense Research Committee. Sounds way more official. Yeah. Um, Before finally being renamed the Office of Scientific Research and Development, or OSRD, in 1941, and adding Fermi to its list of members. The same year following the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor, President Roosevelt declared that the U.S. would enter World War II and align with Great Britain, France, and Russia to fight against the Germans in Europe and the Japanese in the Pacific Theater. The Army Corps of Engineers joined the OSRD in 1942, with President Roosevelt's approval, and the project officially morphed into a military initiative with scientists serving in a supporting role. Hmm. Interesting.
0: So the Manhattan Project begins. Yeesh. The OSRD formed the Manhattan Engineer District in 1942, and it was based in New York City. Um, uh, I'm sorry, based in the New York City borough of the same name, Manhattan.
1: That's where it comes from.
0: Yeah. U.S. Army Colonel Leslie R. Groves was appointed to lead the project. Fermi and Slizzard <laughs> were still engaged in research on nuclear chain reactions, the process by which atoms separate and interact, now at the University of Chicago, and successfully enriching uranium to produce uranium-235. What are you laughing over there, nasal? <laughs> there <was> no-
1: <laughs> hey, watch it. That hurts. <laughs> There's no C's in that successfully, you said. Successfully.
0: Shisheshful. Successful. It's
1: very shisheshful. <laughs> A lot of S's. Successfully.
0: Meanwhile, scientists like Glenn Seaborg were producing microscopic samples of pure plutonium, Ooh, also not good. Not good. In Canada, government and military officials were working on nuclear research at several sites in Canada. On December 28th, 1942, Roosevelt authorized the formation of the Manhattan Project, to combine these various research efforts with the goal of weaponizing nuclear energy. Mm. Facilities were set up in remote locations in New Mexico, Tennessee, and Washington, as well as sites in Canada for this research and related atomic tests to be performed. Huh.
1: Fucking Canada.
0: Canada. And what, like, Tennessee isn't too far away. Uh, I don't want that around me. (sighs)
1: That is weird. I feel like it's a very populous state. Yeah. Like in Mexico, there's a lot of sense. stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of like wildlife and shit. Yeah. The desert makes way more sense. Mm hmm. There's nothing out there. Let's talk about some fission. Fission. American scientists, many of them refugees from fascist regimes in Europe, took steps in 1939 to organize a project to exploit the newly recognized fission process for military purposes. The first contact with government was made by G.B. Pegram of Columbia University who arranged a conference between Enrico Fermi and the Navy Department in March 1939. In the summer of 1939, Albert Einstein, mm. pretty smart guy, I heard, mm-hmm. was persuaded by his fellow scientists for uh, to use his influence and present the military potential uh, for an uncontrolled fission chain reaction to President Franklin Roosevelt. In February 1940, $6,000 was made available to start research under the supervision of a committee headed by L.J. Briggs, director of the National Bureau of Standards, later the National Institute of Standards and Technology. On December 6, 1941, the project was put under, direct, uh, under the direction of the Office of Scientific Research and Development, headed by Vannevar Bush.
0: December 6 is a good day.
1: So I heard nerds are born on that day.
0: It's my birthday. <laughs> Not in 1941, thankfully. Let's just talk... Shut up. Let's just talk about $6,000. Yeah. That's very minimal.
1: Back in that day, it was probably a lot of fucking coin, though.
0: Yeah. To be like, here you go, $6,000. Make a bomb. Make a bomb. (laughs) Do what you can with what you get.
1: After the U.S. entry into World War II, the War Department was given joint responsibility for the project. Because by mid 1942 it was obvious that the vast array of pilot plants, laboratories, and manufacturing facilities would have to be constructed by the US Army Corps of Engineers so that the assembled scientists could carry out their mission in June 1942 the Corps of Engineers at Manhattan District was initially assigned management of the construction construction work because much of the early research was performed at Columbia University, which was in Manhattan mm. again where the name comes from right and in September 1942 Brigadier General. Leslie R. Groves was placed in charge of all army activities, chiefly engineering activities, uh oh, chiefly engineering activities relating to the project. Manhattan Project became the code name for the research that would extend across the country.
0: Huh. Well now we know mm-hmm. why it was called the Manhattan Project, Golden. but it was in Mexico.
1: It's weird that Columbia is like such a prestigious university and they're like basically the reason for the atomic bomb. Yeah, like, I feel like they don't talk about that. That's no, not in it's their not in brochures. Yeah, it's not in their pamphlets. <laughs> like, Come on over here. We made the bomb. <laughs>
0: uh, it was known in 1940 that German scientists were working on a similar project, and that the British were also exploring the problem. In the fall of 1941, Harold C. Urey and Pingram and Pengram visited England to attempt to set up a cooperative effort. And by the ni- and by 1943, a combined policy. Committee with Great Britain and Canada was established. In that year, a number of scientists of those countries moved to United States to join the project here. Yeah, because we got to have everybody on our team. Mm-hmm. If the project were to achieve successful, I'm sorry, it's tough. Successful today. If the pro- <laughs> if the project were to achieve success quickly. Several lines of research and development had to be carried on simultaneously before it was certain whether any might succeed. The explosive materials then had to be produced and be made suitable for use in the actual weapon. How scary! That is terrible. Like if you're producing this thing yeah. that is very unstable, yeah, and it could just blow up in any second. It's going to
1: be the world's most powerful weapon, and you're just like, oops.
0: Right, my bad. <laughs> here, here goes. I mean, how much do they pay those people?
1: Not that much, I bet. Well, probably all fucking locks. They're all super smart.
0: Scientists. Yeah.
1: Hmm. So, hmm. I mean, they know what they're doing. Hopefully.
0: Yeah. I hope. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they did.
1: I feel like back in the day, it would be so easy to lie on a resume.
0: Yeah. Like,
1: yeah, I know how to make bombs.
0: Uranium. <laughs> you get in there and just mix some potions. Like, <laughs> we used to make that in the bathtub.
1: Yeah. Oh, uranium. That old thing. <laughs> Uranium-235, the essential fissionable component of the pulsated bomb, Cannot be separated from its natural companion, the much more abundant uranium-238 by chemical means. The atoms of these respective isotopes must rather be separated from each other by physical means. Several physical method, me- methods methods <laughs> methods to do this were an- intensively explored, and two were chosen. The electromagnetic process developed at the Columbia University. Of- I almost said Columbia, and it wasn't true. <laughs> the University of California, Berkeley. Under Ernest Orlando Lawrence and the def- diffusion process developed under Urey at Columbia University, coming back to Columbia, baby. Yep. Uh, both of these processes are. Both of these processes, in particular, the diffusion method, rep- required large, complex facilities and huge amounts of electric power to produce even small amounts of separated uranium two hundred and thirty five. Philip Haig Abelson developed a third method called thermal diffusion which was also used for a time uh, to effect a preliminary separation. These methods were put into production at a 70-square-mile uh, track near Knoxville, Tennessee, huh. originally known as the Clinton Engineer Works, later as Oak Ridge.
0: Yeah, that's like around people. That's
1: a big city. Yeah. It is. That is scary. Just like right down the street, they're making nukes.
0: Yeah. Only one method was available for the production of the fissionable material plutonium-239. It was developed at a metallurgical laboratory of the University of Chicago under the direction of Arthur Holly Compton. (laughs) (laughs) Arthur. Arthur. (laughs) And involved the transmutation in a reactor pile of uranium-238. In December 1942, Fermi finally succeeded in producing and controlling a fission chain reaction in this reactor, reactor pile at Chicago.
1: Again, busy place.
0: That is a lot of people in a there in Chicago.
1: Of, the Windy City, they call it.
0: Yeah, that's what I heard.
1: <laughs> Quantity production of plutonium-239 required the construction of a reactor of great size and power that would release about 25,000 kilowatt hours of heat. For each gram of plutonium produced. Wow, that's that's a a lot. lot. That's
0: a lot. A gram is very small.
1: (laughs) 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 Just those of you out there thinking, it's big? It's not. Nope, small. small. Gram is small. Not that much. (laughs) It involved the development of a chemical extraction procedures that would work under conditions never before encountered. An immediate, uh, intermediate step in putting this method into production was taken with the construction of a medium-sized reactor at Oak Ridge. The large scale production reactors were built in an isolated 1,000 square mile track in Columbia, on the Columbia River of North Pasco, Washington.
0: That seems more like it. Getting there. Washington's, getting there like. Washington's at least more spacious and less populated. Mm-hmm. As far as my research is concerned. <laughs> it's like <a> zero.
1: <laughs> Sounded You sound like you're confident in that
0: statement. Yeah. You're like there's less people. Less people. A lot of trees. Ooh. Beautiful land. Good place to blow up a nuke. Yep. That's it. <laughs> Before 1943, work on the design. We have some people actually. Not like I just. We have some people in Washington. Yeah. Tom Coville. Yeah. Yeah. So I wonder if they know about this. And my buddy Ben and Maddie. Yeah. So if you know about this, hit us up. I'd like to see what you think about nukes. In Washington.
1: (laughs) Yeah, let us know what you think. Are you
0: close to this, Pascal Washington? Is there remnants still there? Okay, moving on. Before 1943, work on the design and functioning of the bomb itself was largely theoretical based on fundamental experiences. Oh, experiments carried out.
1: (laughs) (laughs) man, The Midwest came out there. Oh.
0: Carried out a number of different locations. And that year, a laboratory directed by J. Robert Offenpfeffer.
1: Oppenheimer. No. He's going to come up a lot. So we got to get that one right.
0: Oppenheimer (laughs) was created on an isolated mesa at Los Alamos, New Mexico, which is 34 miles north of Santa Fe, also Mm. a big city. This laboratory had to develop methods of reducing the fissionable products of the production plants to pure metal and fabricating the metal to required shapes.
1: That's a fun word. Fissionable. 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 It just really comes out of your mouth good. It is. Fissionable.
0: Methods of rapidly bringing together amounts of fissionable material (laughs) to achieve a supercritical mass and thus a nuclear explosion had to be devised along with the actual construction of a deliverable weapon that would be dropped from a plane and fused to detonate at the proper moment in the air above the target. How scary would that be, to be riding this thing in an airplane?
1: Yeah. And that's what, we'll Hmm? come to talk about it, but they were carried in B-52s, and they were, like, notorious for crashing.
0: B-52s? Like, like
1: on takeoff, and... So it's like...
0: (laughs) Everybody's whole, their butts are clenched. Oh, yeah,
1: real clenched. No farts in that plane.
0: No farts. Um, Most of these problems had to be solved before any appreciable amount of fissionable material could be produced, duh. So (laughs) that the first adequate amount could be used at the fighting front with minimal delay.
1: That's so interesting.
0: That's terrifying. It
1: is very. It's interesting though. They could
0: have blown up like if you're gonna fly a B fifty two. Also, great band. Mm. From
1: they won't get something.
0: No, they love shag
1: baby.
0: (laughs) <laughs> they had a couple. Okay. okay, they're good. Okay, they were in the Flintstones.
1: Okay, what do you say?
0: See, that means we'll they go, hit the. They hit it.
1: We'll say the they're a good band with air quotes. Yeah,
0: whatever. Good. Band. I don't see nothing. Anyway, so you're in a base, an Air Force base or a military base. Yes, a lot with of bases. a B fifty two. Yeah, oh yeah, with nuclear bomb inside. Mm-hmm. And you're saying that these bombs or these planes crash. Yeah. So they could crash into the military base and kill everyone. <laughs>
1: that could happen.
0: Oh man, my Same belly. Same thing.
1: They took the. We'll talk about this too, but they took the bomb over. They took the bombs over on navy, like cruise ship, like not cruise ships, but like navy ships. So, so like, have if like you, the they Titanic. like these people that are just like doing their job, and there's a fucking nuke in the next room. Wow, <laughs> that's so scary.
0: Both sink.
1: They do. Know? They do. I've seen Ooh. the Titanic.
0: Yeah, I we know, know that, what happens. No icebergs and yeah.
1: They never let code yet. <laughs> By the summer of nineteen forty-five, amounts of plutonium, plutonium,
0: <laughs> plutonium,
1: plutonium two thirty-nine sufficient to produce a nuclear explosion had become available from the Hanford Works, and weapon development and design were su- sufficiently far advanced, so an actual field test of a nuclear explosion could be ex- could be scheduled. Ooh. Ugh. Such a test was no simple affair. Elaborate and complex equipment had to be assembled so that the complete diagnosis of success or failure could be had.
0: Yeah, you can't have failure with a nuke.
1: Yeah, it failure. Work. Is, failure is not good. No, you don't want failure. No. By the time the original six thousand dollars authorized for the Manhattan Project had grown to two billion,
0: that's a lot more. <laughs> Man, you're smart. Today. I'm trying to simplify this because there's a lot of big stuff going on in here. <laughs> 6000 is less than, so, than
1: matter of fact. $2 billion. <laughs> A lot more. <laughs> Those are you math wizards.
0: Well, we talked about this. That's not a lot of money. I don't even think back then that's a lot of money. No,
1: I wouldn't think you could do much, especially like all the factories they're building just yeah, to do this. Crazy all
0: over the United States. Hmm.
1: Okay, so the Trinity was the name for the nuclear test. The first atomic bomb was exploded at 5:30 a.m. on July 16, 1945, at a site on the Alamogordo Air Base 120 miles south of Albu- Albuquerque, New Mexico. It was detonated on top of a steel tower surrounded by scientific equipment with remote monitoring taking place in the bunkers occupied by the scientists. And a few dignitaries 10,000 yards away. Like, that's not far enough. Nope. Not even close. I
0: want to see this happen from space.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, give me the fuck up. Take a video of it. Let me see that. Mail it to me. (laughs) The explosion came as an intense light flash and a sudden wave of heat, and later a tremendous roar as the shockwave passed and echoed in the valley. A ball of fire rose rapidly, followed by a mushroom cloud extending to 40,000
0: feet. Wow.
1: The bomb generated an explosive uh, power equivalent to 15,000 to 20,000 tons of mm. TNT. Mm. That's a lot.
0: That is a lot. That's that, so scary.
1: That is very it scary. It just
0: vaporizes everything.
1: Mm-hmm. The tower was completely vaporized, oh. and the surrounding <laughs> desert surface fused to glass for a radius of 800 yards.
0: Wow.
1: Because that's what, sand is just glass.
0: Yes, yeah, so it fused together.
1: So it basically made glass. That's insane.
0: That is insane. I feel like there's easier ways to make glass, but...
1: Yeah, a little less dangerous. You know, yeah. Here's a quote from Oppenheimer. Um, we knew the world would not be the same. A few people laughed, a few people cried, and most people were silent. I remember the line from the Hindu scripture, the Bhavgad Gita, Visnu, is trying to persuade the prince that he should not do his duty and impress him. He takes on a multi-armored form and says, Now I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. And I suppose we all thought that one way or another.
0: Yeah, that's like some scary shit.
1: That's could you you imagine like all
0: that power in your hands. This is like what's that guy?
1: There's a lot of guys. The guy with the
0: hand, Thanos. Oh yeah. Ugh.
1: Yeah. It is I'm sure like yeah, I'm like being silent. Like I'm sure you thought it would be big, but like once you saw it, you're like, "Oh shit!" Like
0: we're like we, we got some we stuff. We probably going shouldn't on. have done this. Yeah, and then by that point, there's so many people involved. It's not like you can just yeah, destroy you can't just it, stop it. Yeah, because now people want it.
1: Yeah, you probably felt like a, I had, a lot of guilt.
0: Well, yeah, because essentially those people that made this thing are responsible a little bit from every single person that ever died from a nuclear bomb.
1: Yeah. That's heavy. It is very heavy. And it's like, you knew that like, this wasn't going to be used for anything good. No, I mean, you're making a bomb. Yeah. There's no purpose for this. No. It's not like you're trying to blow up like a building or something. It's like, this is going to be used to kill people.
0: And it's not going to be used just to kill, like for a war military people. This is going to kill innocent
1: people. Yeah. You can't just contain that to.
0: Uh, uh, Okay. So that's heavy. The post the Potsdam Conference. The July 16th success of the Trinity test in the New Mexico desert exceeded expectations. On July 26th, Allied, lead, Allied leaders issued the Potsdam Declaration, which outlined the terms of surrender by Japan. The declaration was presented as an ultimatum and stated that without surrender, the Allies would attack Japan, resulting in the inevitable and complete destruction of the Japanese armed forces and just as inevitably the utter destruction of the Japanese homeland. The atomic bomb was not mentioned in in the communication. So that's, you're essentially uh, willing to wipe out an entire country.
1: That's a pretty direct message. Yeah. There's no uh, in-between-the-lines. No. The complete, utter devastation of the Japanese homeland. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like you should just surrender. Definitely. Japan
0: will not exist.
1: But they're too, like, they, yeah, they're they not about surrendering.
0: No. Un- well, would America, no. No, but
1: Japan's, like, they won't, they'll, like, fall on their sword to, like, like literally. They used to, like, fall on their For sword. For honor. Yeah. They, yeah. They're, like, all about honor.
0: Yeah. On July 28th, Japanese papers reported that the declaration had been rejected by the Japanese government. Mm -mm. That afternoon, Prime Minister Zuki Kantro declared at a press conference that the Potsdam Declaration. What?
1: (laughs) You somehow made that super Japanese name sound so American.
0: Suzuki Kantro.
1: Nice, better. A little racist, but
0: okay. (laughs) That wasn't even. That's like. That's like. Spanish a little
1: bit. Suki Cantro, <laughs> <laughs> like this guy's from Iowa.
0: I'm having a really hard do- time with this Potsdam. I'm sure it's not yeah, not funny. that Sorry. emphasized. Sorry to uh, to derail you. But that was anyway, I was moving on. <laughs> Declared at a press conference that the Potsdam Declaration was no more than a rehash of the Cai- Cairo Declaration, and that the government intended to ignore it. Kill by silence. They say Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, the statement was taken by both Japanese and foreign papers as a clear rejection of the declaration. Emperor uh, Hiroshido,
1: Hirohodo,
0: Hirohodo, who was (laughs) who who, who was waiting? Wait, where was I? Who was waiting for a Soviet reply to non-committal Japanese peace feelers? Made no move to change the government position. Japan's willingness to surrender remained conditional on the preservation of the Kokutuli assumption by the Imperial Headquarters of Responsibility for Disarmament and Demobilization, no occupation of the Japanese homelands, Korea, or Formosa, and delegation of the punishment of war criminals to the Japanese government. Ugh. So, they're saying, fuck you. Racist. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was. <laughs> That's just how I talk in normal no, life. That's no, not. I know you. Can't that was it. not meant to be racist. Oh, uh, so funny. Uh, but that probably is how they said it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> You're probably not wrong. Probably not. <laughs> Do it one more
0: time. Fuck you. <laughs> now, <laughs> oh, how scary would it be to be like a, what are they called? A person of Japan. Who just
1: know? <laughs> A Japanese citizen? Yeah, A person of Japan.
0: Yeah, like they have no choice in this. Like well, they, they know probably, that it's it's coming.
1: Yeah, but they probably don't. The citizens probably don't know about this. Well, it they said it was in the papers. Oh, well, well, maybe they did.
0: Yeah, did you not listen to what I just said?
1: <laughs> I tend not to.
0: Where the fuck are you? Just <laughs> too much. Oh
1: man, yeah, that is that does suck. You're just like, oh shit.
0: Because what are you gonna do? I'd be like, where are we <laughs> moving?
1: <laughs> Where we go. It's
0: just like Americans saying they're gonna go to Canada. Canada doesn't want us. No. They want
1: We're garbage people. Yeah. At Potsdam, Truman agreed to a request from Winston Churchill that Britain be represented when the atomic bomb was dropped. William Penny and group captain Leonard Cheshire were sent to Tinian, but found that Lemay would not let them accompany the mission. All they could do was send a strongly worded signal to Wilson.
0: I wouldn't want to accompany that mission. Mm-mm.
1: Choice of targets. In April 1945, Marshall asked Groves to nominate specific targets for the bombing for final approval by himself and Stimson. Groves, Groves formed a target committee chaired by himself that included Farrell, Major John A. Deary, uh, Colonel William P. Fisher, Joyce C. Cerns, and David M. Dennison of the USAAF, and scientists John... Newman, Robert R. Wilson, and William Penny from the Manhattan Project. The target committee met in Los Alamos on May 10th, where it was able to talk to the scientists and technicians there. And finally, they met in Washington on May 28th, where it was briefed by Tibbetts and Commander Frederick Ashworth from Project Alberta and the Manhattan Project scientific advisor, Richard C. Tolman. Mm. The target committee nominated five targets. Kokora, now... Oh, yeah, I'm probably going to butcher these. Sorry about that. Um, the site of one of Japan's largest munitions plants, Hiroshima, the embarkation port and industrial center that was the site of major military headquarters, Yokohama, an urban, city, urban center for aircraft manufacturing, uh, machine tools, docks, electrical equipment, and oil refineries, Niigata, a port with industrial facilities, including steel and aluminum plants and an oil refinery, And Kyoto, a major industrial center. The target selection were subject to the following criteria. The target was larger than three miles in diameter and was an important target in a large city. The blast would create effective damage, and the target was unlikely to be attacked by August 1945.
0: These cities were largely untouched during the nightly bombing raids, and the Army Air Forces agreed to leave them off the target list so accurate assessment of the damage caused by the atomic bombs could be made. Hmm. Wow. That's interesting. That is. Uh, Hiroshima was described as an important Army depot and point of embarkation in the middle of an urban industrial area. Area, it is a good radar target, and it is such size that a large part of the city would be extensively damaged. There are adjacent hills, which are likely to produce a focusing effect, which would uh, would considerably increase the blast damage. Hmm. Due to rivers, it is not a good incendiary target.
1: That's interesting about the mountains. It kind of contains it. Yeah. You can't let the blast go, like, spread out too much. That's interesting. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. The target committee stated that it was agreed that psychological factors in the target selection were of great importance. Two aspects of those are obtaining the great psychological effect against Japan and two, making the initial use sufficiently spectacular for the importance of the weapon to be internationally recognized when publicity on its released. So they wanted it to be a big thing. Right. Kyoto had the advantage of the people being more highly intelligent and hence better able to appreciate the significance of the weapon. I highly doubt they'd appreciate (laughs) getting shit dropped on them. Hiroshima had the advantage of being such a size and with possible possible focusing from the nearby mountains that a large fraction of the city may be destroyed. The emperor's palace in Tokyo had a greater fame than any other target but is of least strategic value. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. Edward O. Rischauer, a Japan expert for the U.S. Army Intelligence Service, was incorrectly said to have, been, to have prevented the bombing of Kyoto. In his autobiography, Rischauer specifically refused this claim. The only person deserving credit for saving Kyoto from destruction is Harry Henry, Henry L. Stimson, the Secretary of War at the time who had known and admired Kyoto ever since his honeymoon there several decades earlier.
0: Wow, so he honeymooned <laughs> there and that's why he saved it? <laughs> like, yeah, I
1: want to go back one day. Let's wow. not destroy that place. On May 30th, Stimson asked Groves to remove Kyoto from the target list due to its historical, religious, and cultural significance, but Groves pointed to its military and industrial significance. Stimson then approached pre- President Harry S. Truman about the matter. Truman agreed with Stimson, and Kyoto was temporarily removed from the target list. Groves attempted to restore Kyoto to the target list in July, but Stimson remained adamant. On July 25th, Nagasaki was put on the target list in place of Kyoto. It was a major military port, one of Japan's largest shipbuilding and repair centers, and an important producer of naval ordnance. And this is an excerpt from Harry Truman's diary. The weapon is to be used against Japan between now and August 10th. I've told Secretary of War, Mr. Stimson, to use it, uh, that military objectives and soldiers, sailors, are the target and not women and children. Even if the Japs are savages, ruthless, merciless, and fanatic, we were the leader of the world for common warfare, and we cannot drop a bomb that terrible on the capital city of Kyoto or the new Tokyo. He and I are in accord. The target will be a purely military one.
0: Well, I mean, that's good.
1: Yeah, at least he's trying to, I mean you're going to have some civilians get hit, but at least he's trying to do the right thing.
0: All right. So the bombs little boy um, was one of the bombs in this gun type device. The critical mass is achieved when a uranium projectile, which is subcritical is fired through a gun barrel at a uranium target, which is also subcritical. The resulting uranium mass comprised of both projectile and targets become critical and the chain reaction begins. This was what was dropped on the Japanese city of Hiroshima on August 6, 1945. It was the first nuclear weapon used in the war. Here's some stats uh, it weighed 9,700 pounds. That's fucking crazy. That is. It was 10 feet long and 28 inches in diameter. It was highly enriched uranium, uh, which was the fuel. Uranium fuel was approximately 140 pounds. Um, it had the target was 85 pounds and projectile was 55 pounds. Target case, barrel, uranium projectile, and other main parts ferried to Tinian Island via USS Indianapolis. That's the one that sank, that's the one that was in Jaws.
1: So, this is what I was like this that ship on the way back. Is when it got hit with a torpedo, and
0: sank. yeah, so it already delivered
1: yeah. everything. But it's like, think about if it hadn't been and right, the torpedo hit where the nuke was, yeah, that would have been crazy. everybody would have been
0: gone. Um, uranium target component ferried to Tinian via C 54 aircraft of the 509th Composite Group. Efficiency of the weapon was poor. That's a good stat to have, I guess. <laughs> Approximately 1.38 percent of the uranium fuel actually fissioned.
1: So think about that. The nuke that went off in Hiroshima was only 1% of what it should have been. Yeah. That's insane.
0: That would have been, wow.
1: That's so scary.
0: Yeah. Explosive force was 15,000 tons of TNT equivalent. Delivery was B-29 Enola Gay piloted by uh, Colonel Paul Tibbets. Okay, so I was
1: wrong. I thought it was B-52s, but they were B-29s that yeah. delivered them. Um. The the next one is Fat Man, um, the second plutonium implosion-type bomb. The first was the gadget, which was detonated on the Trinity site. Um, The implosion-type device, a core subcritical plutonium, is surrounded by several thousand pounds of highly explosive, designed in such a way that the explosive force of the HE is directed inwards, thereby crushing the plutonium core into a supercritical state. It was dropped on the Japanese city of Nagasaki on August 9th, 1945, and was the second nuclear weapon used in the war. Mm -hmm. So its weight was 10,800 pounds, had a length of 10 feet 8 inches, and 60 inches in diameter. It was fueled by highly enriched plutonium-239. The plutonium was approximately 13 pounds, the size of a softball.
0: Wow, that's all?
1: That's crazy. Plutonium core was surrounded by 53,000 pounds of high explosives. Plutonium core was reduced to the size of a tennis ball. Wow. That's Wow, that's wild. Yeah. The bomb initiator was beryllium and polonium. All components of Fat Man were ferried to Tinian Island aboard B-29s um, of the 509th composite group. The efficiency weapon was 10 times of the little boy.
0: Wow, 10
1: times. Yep. That's crazy. So that one that one worked at 10%. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's crazy. So approximately one kilogram of plutonium fissioned. It had the explosive fourth of 21 thousand pounds of TNT. Wow.
0: The, the one prior was only 15.
1: Yep. The nuclear weapon here was Commander Frederick Ashworth, and it was delivered um, on a B-29 called Boxcar, piloted by Major Charles Sweeney. That is at the um, Air Force Museum.
0: Oh, the... The Boxcar one. Is that?
1: Yep. You're right. In, yeah, in Dayton here, we have a the Air Force Museum, and that yeah, that's sitting in there. Huh. Pretty interesting.
0: Yeah how would it feel to be those guys? Yeah. To know that they they effectively delivered
1: I mean what do this? you you just have to do what you're told, I guess. But think yeah. about how scary that would be. Yeah. And then you drop it and they like have to basically floor it
0: to get out of there yeah, so that's a shockwave.
1: It. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That would be scary.
0: Leaflets. So for several months, the US had warned civilians of potential air raids by dropping more than 63 million leaflets across Japan. Many Japanese cities suffered terrible damage from the aerial bombings. Some were as much as 97% destroyed. LeMay thought that the leaflets would increase the psychological impact of bombing and reduce the international stigma of area bombing cities. Even with the warnings, Japanese opposition to the war remained ineffective. In general, the Japanese regarded the leaflet messages as truthful, with many Japanese choosing to leave major cities. The leaflet caused such a concern that the government ordered the arrest of anyone caught in possession of one. Hmm. Uh, The leaflet text was prepared by recent Japanese prisoners of war because they were thought to be the best choice to appeal, uh, appeal to their compatriots. That's crazy. I didn't know that they dropped leaflets yeah. to try to get people out of there.
1: I didn't either. That's pretty amazing. Like I, I was, yeah, I learned this when I was doing the research, and I, was, yeah, I had no idea about that. That's huh. super interesting. Yeah. In preparation for dropping an atomic bomb on Hiroshima, the Oppenheimer-led scientific panel of interim committee decided against a demonstration bomb and against a special leaflet warning. Those decisions were implemented because of the uncertainty of the successful detonation and also because of the wish to maximize shock in the leadership. That's kind of
0: fucked. Yeah. They wanted to, wow.
1: No warning was given to Hiroshima and that a new, much more destructive bomb was going to be dropped. Various sources gave conflicting information about the last leaflets that were dropped on Hiroshima prior to the atomic bomb. Robert J. Lifton wrote um, that it was July 27th, and Theodore H. McNeely wrote that it was July 30th. The USAAF history noted that 11 cities were targeted with leaflets on July 27th, but Hiroshima was not on them. Delivery of the leaflets a few days before the atomic bomb was dropped. Three versions of a printed leaflet listing 11 or 12 cities targeted for firebombing. A total of 33 cities were listed. With the text of this leaflet regarding in Japanese, we cannot promise that only these cities will be among those attacked. Hiroshima is not listed.
0: Wouldn't that suck if you fled your city to go to another city and you went to Hiroshima? Yeah, that's awful. Ugh. Um, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Meanwhile, the military leaders of the Manhattan Project had identified Hiroshima, Japan as an ideal target for an atomic bomb, given its size and the fact that there were no American prisoners of war in the area. A forceful demonstration of the technology developed in New Mexico was deemed necessary to encourage the Japanese to surrender. With no surrender agreement in place on August 6, 1945, the Enola Gay bomber plane dropped... The as-yet-untested little boy bomb some 1,900 feet above Hiroshima, causing unprecedented destruction and death over an area of five square miles. Three days later, with still no surrender declared, on August 9th, the Fat Man bomb was dropped over Nagasaki, site of the torpedo building plant, destroying more than three square miles of the city.
1: Mm. Those things are interesting, too, because you whenever you think of a bomb, you think of it exploding when it hits the ground. Uh-huh. But these were designed to blow up in the sky. To like maximize the
0: the damage, the, the
1: space that it would take up. Wow! So as it was falling, it detonated and it basically like blanketed everywhere. Yeah, which is crazy. Yeah, the two bombings killed between one hundred twenty nine thousand to two hundred twenty six thousand people, most of whom were civilians, and remained the only use. Oh, uh, this remained the only use of necli- nuclear weapons in an armed conflict. Over the next two to four months, the effects of the atomic bombings killed 90,000 to 146,000 people in Hiroshima and 39,000 to 80,000 people in Nagasaki. Wow. Roughly half occurred on the first day. For months afterward, large numbers of people continued to die from the effects of burns, radiation sickness, and injuries compounded, uh, compounded by illness and malnutrition. Most of the dead were civilians, although Hiroshima had a sizable military population.
0: that's the scary part. Even if you survive the blast, Mm -hmm. it's not over.
1: Oh, it's going to ruin your life. Yeah. yeah, Japan surrendered to the Allies on August 15th, six days after the Soviets' declaration of war and the bombing of Nagasaki. Wow. The Japanese government signed the instrument of surrender on September 2nd, effectively ending the war.
0: Post attack casualties, an estimated 90,000 to 140,000 people in Hir- Hiroshima, up to 39% of the population, and 60,000 to 80,000 people in Nagasaki, which was up to 32% of the population, died in 1945. Wow. Though the number which died immediately as a result of exposure to the blast, heat, or due to radiation is unknown. So who knows how many people really died. One Atomic Bomb Casualty Commission report discusses 6,892 people examined in Hiroshima and 6,621 people examined in Nagasaki who were largely within the 2,000 meter or 6,600 feet from the epicenter. Um, Who suffered injuries from the blast and heat. But died from complications frequently compounded by acute radiation syndrome Bro. or ARS all within about twenty to thirty days of the That's blast. crazy The most well known of these was Medora Naki, some six hundred and fifty meters from the um, the epicenter at Hiroshima, who would travel to Tokyo, and then with her um, with her death on August 24th, 1945, was to be the first death officially certified as a result of radiation poisoning, or as it was referred to by many, atomic bomb disease. Hmm. It was unappreciated at the time, but the average radiation dose that killed approximately 50% of the adults, um, the LD50, was approximately halved, that is, smaller doses were made more lethal when the individual experienced concurrent blast or burn folly...
1: Polytraumatic.
0: Yeah, folly traumatic injuries. Conventional skin injuries that cover a large area frequently result in bacterial infections. The risk of sepsis and death is increased when an, a usually non-lethal radiation dose moderately suppresses the white blood cell count. Mm. So they couldn't heal from the infection. Damn,
1: that's awful. In the spring of 1948, the Atomic Bomb Casualty Commission, or ABCC, was established in accordance with presidential directive from Truman to the National Academy of Sciences National Research Council to conduct investigations on the late effects of radiation among the survivors in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. In 1956, the ABCC published the effect of exposure to the atomic bombs on pregnancy termination in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Mm. The ABCC became the Radiation Effects Research Foundation, or RERF, that's a tongue a tongue twister, mm-hmm. on April 1st, 1975. A binational organization run by both the United States and Japan, the RERF is still in operation today.
0: Wow. Cancers do not immediately emerge after exposure to radiation. Instead, radiation-induced cancer has a minimum Latency period of five years or more. Hmm. Wow. So people had no idea. And leukemia some two years and above, peaking at about six to eight years later. Dr. Jarrett Foley published the first major reports on the significant increased incident of the later among survivors. Almost all cases of leukemia over the following 50 years were in people exposed to more um, than one GY. In a strictly... So, I'm sorry, in a strictly dependent manner, dependent on their distance from the epicenter. In the 1987 Lifespan Study conducted by the Radiation Effect Research Foundation, statist- statistically excess of 507 cancers of underdefined l- lethality were observed in 79,972... Habakusha. Habagushi who had still been living between 1958 to 1987 and who took part in the study. Wow. Hmm. So not only the original numbers, but then 79,972 people had fallout from this. Hmm. Um, Let's see. At the epidemiology study mm-hmm. continues with time the RERF estimates that from 1950 to 2000 46% of leukemia deaths which may include sadaki sasaki and 11% of solid cancers of unspecified lethality were likely due to radiation from the bombs or some other post attack city effects with the statistical excess being 200 leukemia deaths and 1,700 solid cancers of undeclared lethality, both of those statistics being derived from the observation of approximately half of the total survivors. Hmm. Wow. Strictly those who took part in the study. That's what. That is.
1: The survivors of the bombings are called haibakusha, a Japanese word that literally translates to explosion-affected people. The Japanese government has recognized about 650,000 people as Habukakusha. Wow. As of March 31st, 2020, 100, 000, or 136,682 were still alive, mostly in Japan, an annual decrease of around 9,200. The government of Japan recognizes that about one percent of the, these people have illnesses caused by the radiation oh, man. the memorials in Hiroshima and Nagasaki contain a list of names of the Hibakusha who are known to have died since the bombings updated annually on the anniversaries of the bombings as of August two thousand twenty the memorials uh, record the names of more than five hundred and ten thousand people
0: Wow three hundred and twenty four
1: thousand one hundred and twenty nine in Hiroshima and one hundred and eighty five thousand nine hundred and eighty two in Nagasaki up by 4,943 and 3,406 respectively from the previous year's figures. Wow. Um, yeah, that's awful.
0: If they discuss their background, Habushka and their children were and still are victims of fear-based discrimination and exclusion when it comes to the prospects of marriage or work. Due to public ignorance and the consequences of radiation sickness, or that the low doses that the majority received were less than a routine diagnostic X-ray, much of the public, however, persist with the belief that the Habushka carry some hereditary or even contagious disease. So they think they're oh. diseased people. Yeah, that's awful. Uh, This is despite the fact that no statistically demonstrable increase of birth defects were among or were found among the later conceived children born to survivors of the nuclear weapons used at Hiroshima or Nagasaki or indeed had been found in the later conceived children of cancer survivors who had previously received radiotherapy. The surviving women of Hiroshima and Nagasaki that could conceive were exposed to substantial amounts of radiation, went on and had children with no higher incidence of abnormalities, birth defects, or birth defects than the rate which is observed in the Japanese average. So that's good. good. A study of the long-term psychological effects of the bombing on survivors found that even 17 to 20 years after the bombings had occurred, survivors showed a higher prevalence of anxiety. Um, of anxiety. Yeah. I mean, yeah.
1: Yeah. Would, yeah you were just be... having a
0: day and then uh, something dropped and ruined your whole life. Yeah.
1: With the development of the weapons designed to bring an end to World War II, as it has stayed in its mission, it's easy to think that the story of the Manhattan Project ends in August 1945. However, that's far from the case. Following the end of the war, the United States formed the Atomic Energy Commission to oversee research efforts designed to apply the technologies developed under the Manhattan Project to other fields. Ultimately, in 1964, then-President Lyndon B. Johnson put an end to the U.S. government's effective monopoly over nuclear energy by allowing for private ownership over nuclear materials. The nuclear fission technology perfected by the Manhattan Project engineers has since become the basis for the technology of nuclear reactors, power generators, um, for power generators, as well as other innovations, including medical imaging systems. For example, MRI machines and radi- radiation therapies for various types of cancer. Yeah. So at least something good came out of it, I guess.
0: Yeah. And I think it's funny, as Americans, we dropped these two horrible bombs, and then we're like, okay, time out. Just kidding. Let's not do that anymore. Yeah. Because nuclear war is a very, very scary thing.
1: Yeah. could ruin the whole planet. It's yeah. wild.
0: Yeah. If If it gets into, I mean, I think of like, have you ever seen Broken Arrow? Yes. With John Travolta and what's his face, mm-hmm. it's a good movie. I yeah. recommend it. It's a '90s movie, but I mean, it's warheads, mm-hmm. and I'm I lose sleep at night wondering if that kind of shit happens in real life. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's scary to stop and think about it. But that is all we have for <clears> the Manhattan Project. Yeah, pretty interesting stuff.
0: We'll um, cite our sources in the show notes. There yep. was quite a few. Yeah, and some of the. You know, scientific mumbo-jumbo was a little difficult to get through, but <laughs> but I feel like I really pieced it out and made it easier to understand.
1: Yeah. Yeah. With the gram, that's small.
0: Small. Small gram.
1: 6,000 is less than 2 billion. <laughs> if we learned anything today, that's what we learned.
0: That's what we learned. So please um, like, subscribe, comment, bring a buddy or a friend, <laughs> um, and... We appreciate all you guys, and we will see you next week. Bye.